Hello, beloved survivors. This is Autumn. I'm coming to you with a very special announcement about an event that I am doing in February. So listeners often reach out to me um, in a variety of ways wanting to learn more about the work that I do. And so we thought it would be a good idea to let you all know about this event that's coming up that is very much a presentation um, to movements about my best thinking about what is needed for our movements right now. The event is called A Breath Away from Freedom, Healing the Wound of White Supremacy and Moving in Formation. And it's taking place on February 24th starting at 1 p.m. Eastern. And um, I'm really excited to bring this work forward into the world. A big part of the question that I am trying to answer in this special 90-minute event is, what if a vibrant multiracial movement for justice is within our grasp? And what practices make it possible for us to not only build such a movement, but to be a part of its courageous membership. And what I will be bringing is a Black feminist praxis answer to that question. So if you are interested and you want to be a part of this really special one-time-only moment, <laughs> um, Check out um, Aorta's website, aorta.coop, A-O-R-T-A dot C-O-O-P. Registration is live. Um, and I would love to see as many of you in the room as can make it. All right. Peace. Something sweet in the feed for you today. Something kind of special. Something kind of special. Something kind of special. So special that we're like skipping our intro. You know who we are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is Autumn speaking. I'm Lila. Nah, it's me, Adrian Marie Brown, you know. Indeed, it is. You know what it is. You know what it is. So we are, we're dropping a special event bonus episode in the feed today. Um, a few weeks ago, about, a, I guess a little over a month ago now, Adrian and I had the opportunity to deliver a collective keynote at the Racial Justice Summit of the YWCA, YWCA in Madison, Wisconsin. And this was such a special experience. Magic. Really, really magical. Um, one of the things that made it extra magical was the fact that our keynote was kind of, it was coming at the tail end of the virtual part of the summit, but yeah. there was another keynote that happened at the front end of the virtual summit, and it was... Our favorites, Angela and Vanya Davis. Angela and Vanya Davis. So <laughs> I feel like they just need a whole musical just about them. I mean, actually, since you're writing musicals, yeah, um, on. <laughs> you're on it. 
So the Davis sisters opened the summit, and then we got to close the virtual part of the summit and guide the people who were attending the summit sort of into the the last day, which was going to be their in-person day. And we just had, you know, we were invited to talk about um, emergence and what is emerging what and how surrender can be a pathway of emergence. And we just had a beautiful conversation. We both had an opportunity to share music into the space. Um, so you'll get to hear a little bit of original music from me and Adrienne. Um, mm. And I just want to say, um, by way of giving credit to the amazing organizers who put together this event, that the, the summit itself is a collaboration between the race and gender equity team and the development and marketing team of the YWCA in Madison with their beloved CEO, Vanessa McDowell, who is such a dope, amazing person. And I just wanted Mm -hmm. to quickly thank the people who are involved in this program. Aaron Farrar, Faith Stevenson, Jerry Paredes Vasquez, Jay Young, Jill Pfeiffer, Libby Tucci, and of course, Vanessa McDowell. Um, Mm -hmm. You hopefully will feel as like filled up by this conversation as we did when we were having it. Enjoy. We are so excited. So excited. Yeah. Yes. Um, So we are going to have um, a little over an hour of time to be in conversation, the two of us together. Um, and with all of you, um, your energy will be certainly informing uh, our conversation. Um, but what we wanted to do, one of the practices that Adrian and I share is song. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of us are musicians. Both of us are songwriters. Um, and we thought we would actually open and close our session today, um, each of us offering a song. Um, And so we're going to begin with a beautiful song from the beautiful Miss Adrienne Marie Brown um, that will help us, I Mm. think, feel our way into what it means to be in this moment together today, right now, here in the bodies that we have been gifted with. That's right. Adrienne, will you take it, take us there, please? Yes, I would love to. And um, if you feel comfortable, if you want to just kind of approach it as a almost a guided meditation of song, you can drop in, use it as an opportunity to drop in further into your pelvic bowl, into the gravity that's holding you, into your soma, into yourself. It takes days to open up the space to feel a thing. I go deep into my dreams to feel a thing. I run far from everyone I know. I hold tighter all the way, let go. It takes days to open up the space to feel a thing. It takes days to open up the space to feel a thing. I go far into my dreams. 
to feel a thing. I run up from everyone I know and I hold tighter all the way, let go. It takes days to open up the space to feel a thing. It takes days to open up the space to feel a thing. <laughs> freaking love see i almost cursed and i stopped myself because we're public and live and we're and we can freak and we can freak our we way can be a freak until, until the day um, until the day <laughs> i love your voice and i love the words of that song thank uh, you sister and the places that it takes us and i think that you know mm. when we're thinking about uh Freedom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we're thinking about when we're talking about freedom. We talk about freedom. Let's talk about freedom. Um, I think the freedom to feel is maybe the is so in some ways it can feel like the furthest away. Yeah. Freedom. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I mean, it's so interesting. Yeah, That's it's like it's mm -hmm. well, and also to be like to trust it. You know, like, I feel like there's been moments where I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 I got it. And I'm like, mm, no, this is like someone else's definition of freedom. This is someone else telling me I'm, oh, this should be enough. And that's why I'm like, for me, it really takes a while to land it and be like, I have to open up the space within myself to be free. Um, yeah. And it, and it like emerges into a moment. You know, I'm like, oh, wait, it's it's already happening right now. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a little taste. To me, it's like, oh, I want to taste this because I'm trying to dose my system, microdose my system with freedom so that I'm like, I know what this is and I can remember and I can start to have a path that easily brings me back to this place. Yes. Yeah. Song yeah. always does that for me and always has. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it transports me. Like I'm like, I don't even, um, we have friends, um, Abigail and Sean Binkson who are incredible singers. Abigail's always like, you can either care about what you look like when you're singing, or you can sing. You can just let it, you know, you can feel it, you can just be with it. And it's been so liberating. It's like, oh yeah, can I just free myself up to let the song come through? Yeah. You know? So yeah. And I love, I love it too, because actually yesterday um during the Davis Sisters keynote, someone had asked about um I don't remember how the question was framed. It was either about, you know uh nourishment or you know how do you mm -hmm. experience nourishment and rest mm -hmm. and um angela davis talked about the fact that she's always experienced and found nourishment and rest in music and actually yeah. music and dance is a practice that those that they as sisters share like a passion for the arts a passion for music um and of course as we all know um the music, the arts, culture is a space in which we can be um, experiencing, you know, a higher vibration. Yes. And because of that, experiencing and tasting into some of the things that we dream of, you know, that we right. that we believe are possible, but don't necessarily always feel possible inside of 
um, the day-to-day, the mundane of just mm-hmm. navigating and surviving white supremacy and capitalism <laughs> and patriarchy. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's so interesting. I, I, I was, I saw them talking about that and I, I was like, yeah, there's something about surrender that is available in music, in dance, you know, and like when you get into it, you're like, okay, I can really give myself wholeheartedly to this moment. I can give myself to it, but there's a function of privilege to it. So part of it is like, oh, you know, I think about like what allows me to surrender. Oh, I feel safe enough, you know, to like really let, let my guard down and and let my all protections drop and be like, I can actually be here and surrender. And for me, learning to be more present, like present in the moment and be like, what are the conditions? And are these conditions ones in which I can actually surrender? Right. So, Mm -hmm. you know, for a long time, I was like, I'll sing in my shower and I'll sing like in my house and I'll sing maybe even on an Instagram story because it's still in the condition of my house and I can just pretend that's all that's (laughs) happening. Um, And I'm like, I feel safe here. I feel like I can fully release and let, let my voice out or let myself go. But I can't help but always think about like the ancestral lineages that are behind me, behind us, where I'm like, this is such a, this is such a privilege, right? That I'm like, I am regularly in a situation where I can sing my song out loud. I am regularly in a situation where I can be with other people and dance. You know, it was one of the hardest parts of the, of the initial phase of COVID and the quarantining for me was like, there's a kind of surrender that happens for me in a collective musical experience that is hard to achieve when I'm just by myself with (laughs) D-Nice DJing for me. Um, (laughs) But I learned, you know, I was like, okay, but this, this, even with the constraint, this is the way I can be present with other people and also be safe. And there's something about that for me that I'm like, okay, like, how do I surrender to quarantine? How do I surrender to the things that help us be in collective relationship with each other? Mm. And then also, how do I surrender to, you know, I've said this before, but I feel like I can't lie when I'm singing, like even to myself. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> you know, I can't mm-hmm. sing a song that's like, I'm feeling so happy. If I'm like, bitch, you're not, no, you're not feeling so happy. You don't feel happy right now. You feel something else. <laughs> you know, the song is like, you have to surrender to what you're actually feeling in this moment. You know? mm. Well, and it's so interesting too, because I think, I think there's, um, as you were saying that what came up for me is the interplay between the the conditions of safety that makes surrender possible and also the conditions of practice or the ways that our practices can make conditions, can create conditions. So song being one of them, right? Where, you know, you might be in a setting with people who don't feel connected to one another, but if you bring them together in song, then you're changing the condition of <laughs> exactly right exactly and, and of course that's not what that's not always what happens um, but there's and then when I think about the ancestral lineage of that right there's the you know there's our our black ancestors who worked in the fields in the south who sang their way through those experiences, right? And as a way of being able to both survive and transform conditions and transmit information and transmit mm-hmm. teaching and 
can kind of co-create an environment in which some kind of healing and transmutation of the environment was still happening, you know, and now we know, yeah, we've always known, someone's always known, but now our, <laughs> our generation is kind of figuring out like, oh, actually the songs are in the dirt now. Those songs yes. are, they didn't, it's not like the, the, any sounds we make, they don't just disappear, they disperse. Yes right? Yes. They're dispersing into water, they're dispersing into earth, you know, that every time we sing of freedom, mm. you know, we are actually like we're raising that vibration of freedom. Conditions. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think when we were, you know, when we were prepping for um, being in this conversation today, uh, mm -hmm. with you all, um, we were thinking about, you know, the theme of this racial justice summit being about emergence and emerge. Mm -hmm. And and one of the things that came up for us was just this idea that um, surrender makes it possible for things to emerge, right? Yes. When, you know, if we think about a, a seed uh, that mm. is become a sprout, right? There is some process by which that sprout actually has to burst the casing of the seed. Yep. And that, you know, that's not, um, it's not without challenge. It's not without tension, but then the, the breaking can happen because the casing can surrender. That's right. And, and serve its purpose. And serve its purpose that there is yeah. something about surrender, surrendering to or inside of our conditions so that we may be of service that I feel. I love that. Yeah. Well, and it feels like a way to be in right relationship with the fact that change is constant too. That's mm -hmm. like, actually, I reg you know, I regularly outgrow my skin, right? Like I'm like, oh, that's who I was. And the the goal is that I keep becoming more and more of myself and fully realizing myself and reclaiming parts of myself. And it actually has taken so like coming to the precipice of so much surrender to be like, oh, I'm uncomfortable because it's time to grow. It's time to break out of this, even though in my mind, because my mind is always like, yeah, but hold on. This is where I'm comfortable, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, you're not but actually comfortable. And it's like, but if, what if I contort inside of this? And it's like, you already contorted inside of this for a year and a half, honey. It's time to, right, move out and, and let yourself grow. And it helps me so much always, of course, to learn from nature. But I'm like, snakeskins are gorgeous. You know, there are spiders that shed their whole outer shell. It's there's so much beauty in the thing that gets left behind and the detritus yeah. that gets to go back to the soil. And then there's so much beauty in the fresh surface of your new self, your next self, you know. Yeah. Um, and I've been really feeling that like. That it's like, oh, if I want to be in right relationship with myself, I have to accept that I'm going to be a growing being as long as I'm alive. I have to surrender to the fact that I will keep changing. And then I get to invite other people in relationship with me to be like, hey, guess who I am now? <laughs> guess what's up now? Which I wanted to bring that because that was also something we really wanted to talk about with this group of people is like, you know, we have this amazing sister relationship. Um, Some might call it the best. 
It might be the best. I mean, I'm obsessed with you. I think you're just such a good sister. <laughs> yes. um, I think you're so cool and so smart um, and you have such integrity and such brilliance. And I love how many offers you have made to movement from behind the scenes. Like, I love the humility with which you have made tons of offers to movement, um, stuff that people may or may not ever, like, I feel like if I get to write the memoir, it's going to be like, and then she changed the world in this way. And then she changed the world in this way. Um, but I wanted to spend a little time just talking about what it's like to be in relationship to someone like you, who is both my sister and my friend and my comrade and my coworker, you know, uh -huh. um, and how we maintain being in right relationship with each other. Um, yes. yes. Yeah. And so. I think that, you know, mm -hmm. just to, before you go there, because now I have to interrupt <laughs> because that's my growth edge is like, stop complimenting me. <laughs> but I, they might see. You know, <laughs> um, I, I, I just want to say a, like, hell yes about the, <laughs> the sister relationship as, you know, one of the containers in which so much growth is possible because yeah. in, a, in sisterhood, and I don't just mean like the basic sisterhood of we're related by blood, but the sisterhood of choice, yeah. like sisterhood yeah. where, we, where we choose to step in with one another and say, I'm going to hold you. Yes. I'm going to let you hold me knowing yes what it means to be seen by you and knowing you know what it means to be seen by me and I'm still going to let that full visibility happen. Yeah. And those are, you know, our relationship is one of the places in which not only have I been able to do the most growth, but I've also been able to see my growth yes. because, because of the fact that we have a commitment to our sisterhood. And, right. and I think, there's already a lesson there for our social justice and racial justice work, right? Which is That's that right. we have to be able to see our growth. That's right. We have That's to right. be able to see it. We can't just be in a constant commitment to growth and change without being able to actually observe, well, how did that happen? And oh. what conditions made it possible? Mm -hmm. And what are, how could I keep cultivating conditions in which that kind of the growth that I want to have happening is possible? That's and at right. least one of the things that we know works is a commitment to sisterhood. <laughs> That's right. I mean, I really deeply feel this too. Like I know a lot of people who have biological siblings that don't end up choosing each other for whatever reason, you know, it might not be possible for both people or all people or something might happen along the way. It just, a lot of stuff comes up and there's ways that we're pit against each other for parental attention and love. And so there's always this moment where it's like, you have to, choose each other and if you can't choose your your siblings of blood like you can find other ones and i feel like both of us one of the things that keeps our our relationship strong is that we also have another sibling of blood and we've also got a lot of chosen siblings <laughs> like wow. both of us have a lot of people who've been like you know what this relationship is a really good place for growth let's have more of these and i feel like it allows us you know sometimes we are like in all day daily contact. Sometimes, you know, we, we are like, oh, I'm living my life, living my life. I'm going to catch up with you on the other side. And no matter what happens, I feel like there's like a bat signal that <laughs> I know that I can be like, <clears throat> sister, like I 
whatever's going on, I need to cut through that and I need you right now. Yeah. Or I know when I get that kind of message from you and it calms my system just to know that you're there and that that exists and yeah. that I know when I come to you and I'm like, it's a crisis. I feel powerless. I feel despair. I feel hopeless. You're one of the people who can remind me you're on an edge. What is the growth that's available right now? Like I see you changing. You're doing this better than you've ever done it before. You're being so brave. You're leaning into the conflict or leaning into the love. Like there's a reflection that's from being like, well, I saw you when you were five and I saw you when you were 15. <laughs> I saw you when you're 25. And, you know, compared to all that at 44, you're rocking it. <laughs> you really are killing the game just to work there. I, mean, I really am. At, I'm, not, I'm definitely giving peak A and B right now. As And I would say that you're giving peak autumn. Like Thank this you. is the best either of us has ever been. <laughs> <by> far. <laughs> and it's great. And it's joyful to be like, I love knowing that about almost everyone in my life, right? That we look at each other and we're like, oh, this is even better than it was before. Like, <laughs> because we're choosing each other and we're choosing relationships of accountability that mean like, I am not just becoming like, you know, in a technical sense, more successful or, or more known. It's like, I'm becoming a person who has deeper integrity. I'm yeah. becoming a person who has um, more ease with living in a thousand percent honesty. I'm becoming a person who's a great aunt. Like, I didn't even know how good of an auntie I could be. You know, like all these different parts of myself keep coming on board. And I'm like, oh, yeah, aging is, I feel like everyone lied to me about it. And it's actually really great, especially if you have relationships that are your aging together. You know? Yeah. And then especially if you are, um, you know, if you have a childlike wonder, which you do have, you know, I mean, you have, <laughs> yeah. you have a very unique personality in that regard and that you are very sage, you have insight, you have like extraordinary wisdom that you access and like ways that you're able to connect with um, ancestors known and unknown. And you also have this really like breathtaking childlike wonder <laughs> thing to actual things in the world, you know, it's and you're not uh, afraid to be in wonder. I mean, um, we live in a pretty wonderful world. Yeah. I always say it's like the world is not ghetto. No, the world is actually oh. full of whales and dolphins <laughs> and amazing puppies. I've been watching these these little videos. Hurricane Ian is is moving um, along the coast of Florida, you know, kind of going through. And I keep seeing these little videos of humans like helping each other and rescuing animals and stuff. And I'm like, you know there's still good in us. There's still yeah. something, you know, there's like someone, that guy didn't have to do that. He turned around and he went and helped somebody. And that makes me feel wonder, which I feel like I'm always trying to fill up my cup of wonder so that it can stay full when I have to walk through those places of despair. And it's like, yeah. okay, I've got to sustain myself through this despair because I want to be able to feel the despair because it's real. And I want to be able to come through it um, and stay connected. And I want to say, I think that for me, this uplifts one of the practices that I have noticed in you that mm. I've learned a lot from, which is that you, you are really, really good at always noticing, um, you know, where is something, where is that, you know, toxic ideology or uh -huh. <laughs> this 
victim, like where is it showing up inside of my shaping? Yes. Where is it? Where is, does it live inside of me? Like you don't ever get um, what I've always loved about you and the way that you do your work. And I think that this has just become increasingly obvious to people as folks read and get to see more and more of your work in the world mm-hmm. is that you don't has you don't you don't engage in the sort of like purity politics, which is also a politics of individualism, I might say. Mm, that sort exactly. of purity politics that, you know, like orients as though there's only one way that people are supposed to be and that people are supposed to show up fully baked to our social movements and already know the right. <laughs> that part. <laughs> you know, and you know, you have you have that capacity to not just be able to critique the systems, yeah. but also be able to feel inside yourself where the shaping is and then go yeah. towards it to say, I'm not going to abandon this part of myself. I'm That's not going right. to act like this part of myself isn't here. I'm going to work right. with it. And I'm going to actually invite the people who love me and care about me to help me work with it. You know, That's like right. you many times over the years, I remember moments where you would turn to me or to other members of the family and be like, I really want to work on this thing in myself, you know? And I'd be like, okay, like (laughs) the thing inside ourselves, you know? And (laughs) and for me, it's been such important as your, as your little sister, it's been so important to have that modeled Mm. as, as a brave, right choice, especially, um, as as the one of the two of us who's parenting small children, yeah. it's like I you're the person that I come to when I make a mistake that I feel deeply ashamed about, right? That's right. And anyone, I don't know if there are any people on this on, in this event who are like listeners to our show, um, <laughs> yeah, but no. anyone who is a listener to our show may know by now that like I don't feel shame easily, I don't humiliate easily, I don't no. have like I don't have that chip. I was like born without it. Um, so you <laughs> quite, I have to do something considerably bad in my mind before yeah. I will feel like, oh God, I want to hide and die, you know? <laughs> but when those things happen, I know that you are a safe person for me to come to, to be like, wow, I said something really, really fucked up to my kids or wow, I really like, you know, I lost my shit in front of them in a way that I don't think is okay. And then you can yeah. remind me of my humanity. Yeah. You know, because you're not afraid of that part of me because you're not afraid of that part of you. And uh-huh. that, you know, for me, there's a million lessons that we could extrapolate from that. But one of the lessons is the, you know, this is such a beautiful opportunity inside of this time on the clock of the world for That's us to right. learn this, for us to learn this, to learn the ability to fearlessly confront our shaping mm. inside of the commitment of a loving relationship. I love you. <laughs> I love this. I love you so much. And I love this because, you know, when you talk about the clock of the world, of course, for me, you invoke Grace Lee Boggs, um, who was one of my teachers, and I think one of all of our teachers for this time. And you know, there's a politic behind that, like internalizing the struggle, like being like, what what part of this lives in me? Um, in in Detroit movement, that question was often asked, like, how do I transform myself to transform the world? Not mm-hmm. that I sat down trying to change the world, but that I also pay attention to how those patterns have shaped me 
and how if I'm not conscious about them, how they will continue to shape me and continue to show up in my behavior. Yeah. And, mm, you know, it's something that I feel grateful for that very, I think our parents have a lot of this of like, when, when I come home and tell my mom or, you know, dad, like, hey, this thing, I did this. Um, <laughs> you know, I kissed a girl, you know, whatever it was. And I would come home and be like, <laughs> and I am gay. <laughs> um, you know, that I have such a funny story about that. But anyway, that I would never face a sense of rejection or shame, right? There was always a sense of like, oh, that's who you are. Well, what did you think? How was that? Why did you do that? And if there were consequences, then even that was something that was like, okay, like, like let's figure out what needs to happen so that you still right. feel like yourself. And now I feel like that's how I have been with people in the world. And I think one of the lessons I've been learning is like, I really try to see the good in people. I really try to practice transformative justice. Like in my daily life, I try to really not be punitive you know, in my daily life and including with myself, um, which is actually the hardest for me, you know, like I'm much more punitive with myself than I ever would be with anyone else. Mm -hmm. But because I see the good in people, it means I have also had to learn a lot about boundaries. And I feel like I've learned a ton from you about boundaries, but being like, oh, like if you can only see the good in people, but they're doing a lot of harm, then you need better boundaries, <laughs> right? Um, if you can only, you know, or if, if you're trying to be non-punitive, but there's someone who keeps hurting you and they're not, you know, listening to those boundaries, what do you need to do? And I feel like you're so good at being like, mm, hard line. It's, it's okay to have a hard line and you have permission to do that. And I feel like maybe this is a good time. I, I really want to talk about kind of the healing practices that we have, because I feel like we are so, we're both really intentional <laughs> about how we are healing in this lifetime mm -hmm. and healing as sisters, healing our own relationship, healing from the things that, mm, you know, we grew up in a household of a black father and a white mother who fell in love in South Carolina, were married four months later, are still together. It's a very epic love story. Very and epic. it was kind of like them against the world. And then when we came in, we were like, okay, now we're all, we're, it's us against the world. You know, it's like, <laughs> we just need our little bubble of, of us. And there were a lot of benefits to that. There's a lot of love, unconditional, beautiful love. And there's a lot of like, how do you build community, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what does it mean to build a community outside of this pocket of humans who roll together through the world? How do you feel a sense of belonging? Especially you know, we were military kids. So every two years or so we were moving. So I was like, I'm really good at building community. You know, I can land and be like, hey, everyone, here's my dazzling personality. What do you think? Does this work here? <laughs> do I need to adapt to what's going on? <laughs> and then it would be like, as soon as I would like land, I'm like, I got my people. Great. I would have to go. So <laughs> I feel like in our adult life, we've been like, oh, wait, first of all, maybe the way our parents fell in love is not going to be the way we fall in love. Second, <laughs> Maybe the way they did community is not the way we're going to do a community. Third, what are we going to build and create in our lifetime and in the lineage for the children that are coming up now in our family, right? And I feel like all of this is part of it that we've been like, oh, 
how do we be transformative with each other? What do you need to heal? What do I need to heal? How do we have a differentiation of like, some of the stuff I have is not yours. Some of your stuff is not mine. And there are places where there are serious patterns. Um, and then boundaries kind of has been a really big thing we've had to figure out because in our Ooh. family, yeah. it was like, if you're one unit, boundaries are not that easy inside right. of a singular unit. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had to unlearn feeling guilty for setting boundaries with our parents, with each other, with the world, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'd love to ask you, yeah, what do you, what are a few of the healing practices that you feel are centered to your practice, centered to your life? Um, yeah. Centered wow. to how you, how you teach your children. I just want to sit with that question for a moment mm-hmm. and maybe like let everyone who's experiencing this moment also sit with the question. Yeah. So the the answer that just came up in me mm. is, oh, first I need to say what it means to me to heal. Yes. Um, because I yeah. think that for um, for a lot of my adulthood, I've been confused about that. I've been confused about what it means to be on a healing journey or to be like doing healing work. Yeah. Um, and I finally, well, and you know, I don't, I <laughs> long enough that this is not my final answer. <laughs> this, is, right. this is, this is just, this is just the wisdom today. of today. This is today. the wisdom of today, the wisdom of today. <laughs> and if I live another 20 years, hopefully the wisdom of, you know, 58 year old me will be something even better than this answer. It's going to um, be so cute. Oh my God. No, I would be, I'm like going to look so <sighs> good. It's so life. cute when you're 58. I love you. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'll be um, sixty. I will. I know. I'll be so right. fine. Be like, be so cute. Yeah. Um. So my my in this moment, this version of me is, you know, healing for me is feeling more and more myself, mm. and more and more able to access who I truly am, truly, truly am. And um, there's this, you know, I I have situated myself for some time now, sort of in in kind of a relationship to a, a Buddhist spiritual path. Same. And there's this koan in the Buddhist tradition that goes something like, "Show me your original face before mm-hmm. your parents were born." You know, yes. so when I mean like, who am I truly? Who I truly truly am? I'm thinking in that longer view of, you know, who am I, who am I, if I'm not, um, defined by the suffering I've experienced in this lifetime. Yes. Knowing that suffering is part of human experience, that the only, as my therapist would say, the only unnatural suffering in the world is the suffering of oppression. That's right. Otherwise, all the types of suffering that we experience are totally normal and natural and to be expected. So, but I, if I don't see suffering as something that defines my life, then who am I? And, you know, and which, you know, means that I'm, I'm learning to access other parts of myself, even as I live through things that cause me suffering. Yes. And, um, so 
So some of the things that have helped me arrive here mm -hmm. <laughs> um, is, well, therapy. <laughs> therapy! Um, yes. <laughs> you any therapy, because there's therapy and there's therapy. There's therapy, there's uh, talking, and then there's therapy. There's talking and then there's therapy. And <laughs> I, I work with I work with a somatic experiencing therapist, which means mm. that I'm when I'm in my therapeutic work, I'm not very focused on, it's not that talking doesn't happen, but I'm not very focused on words. I'm focused on sensation and nervous yeah. system responses and, you know, leveraging my body's own willingness and desire to heal yep. to help my body heal from the trauma that's in here. Yes. Um, music. Uh, has been a profound part of my healing, especially I would say this year, um, mm. discovering my own voice as a songwriter has been really important, really important because, um, you know, we can sometimes we, because, because we live under capitalism, because we live under racial capitalism. Yeah. Any specific act we do is often threaded through or laced with a sort of question of monetization. Like, so am I am I good enough at this act to monetize it? That's right. <laughs> if I set aside the activity of monetization, <sighs> like if I don't allow my what my voice wants to do to be connected to whether someone will pay me to do it. So I just like let that float away and I'm just at my piano and letting something emerge. There's that word again. Mm. Then, then the thing that wants to emerge, like, especially if I'm improvising, like if I'm doing, like, if I'm just playing some chords on my piano and doing vocal improvisations, yes. then what comes through is the story that needs to come out of my body right. deep down, deep there somewhere that I haven't been able to, deal with or even scratch the surface of and then like the music happens the chords happen yeah. my the room around me fills with all of the echoing sound and then my brain's like cool okay so, so here's what I need to say. <laughs> you know i just um, can i say very quickly on that point that i i love this practice both you and i have this and i have found like i'll be in my home deeply repressing a feeling and then catch myself in the kitchen um, cleaning or something. And then just being like, I'm so angry about what you did. And and like, be like, <laughs> no, sometimes it's that obvious. Where I'm just like, wait, um, I guess I need to process that. Um, yeah. But then your children also do that. And I, I really, really, really love that. Because um, I'm like, oh my gosh, is this learned behavior? Is this just like something that is in our, our blood? But like, I love being in your house and like, I know what your children are mad about very specifically because it'll come through in song. <laughs> oh, so clearly. <laughs> yes. So clearly. And I'm, I feel like one of the things I'm learning to do is, is let myself sing a feeling. Yes. With, and it'll sort of lock it in. That's right. And the other day, I think I might've texted you about this when it happened, but the other day I got, um, uh, a very frustrating communication from my uh, my children's father. And I, you know, as is often the case, what will happen is my brain will go into like composition mode where I'll start being like, 
you know, and I'm not typing anything, but my brain is confusing yes. the response. Per my previous 14 emails. <laughs> my previous email. And instead, <laughs> I sing out loud, don't do anything. Don't That's do true. anything at all. <laughs> so brilliant. And then it just, you know, the energy, the yes. energy of composition just left my brain. I you know, that. and then I just took out the trash and went back to making dinner. You know, <laughs> it was it was really message. Mm-hmm. message message exactly. Sometimes mm-hmm. you do have to take out the trash spiritually, spiritually. and physically. Yes. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> those are a couple of my <laughs> healing <laughs> practices. I also uh, feel like there's a healing practice of being like strategically petty that you've been teaching me a little bit about of just being like just a little petty. Just a little yeah. bit of my pity. Yourself, your toe in the lane yeah. of the petty, and then yeah. you climb back out, and you're like, "Well, that was refreshing." Just like, whew, let that yeah. go. Yeah. I love your practices. Yes, I love your practices. Yeah. Can you Fair say practice. one more that I want you to talk about? Is your Aikido practice? Oh hell yes, I can talk about. I've Aikido. seen you change your whole life with that. It's <laughs> really, really cool. Like, Peeps the chat and someone was like, take out that trash, LOL. Take it out, <laughs> y'all. Look, trash that collectors will come and pick it up. Dishes. Okay, I have to stop looking at the chat because it's going to be um, distracting. But <laughs> I, <laughs> um, so many things I could say that I won't say because I can't say them legally. Um, so I, <laughs> I, about a okay. year ago, about a year ago, I became a martial artist. This is not something, Adrian. This is not that I had anticipated. Um, I and I want to. I actually want to share a little bit with our folks in the room about how this came about because I think it. Um, it's just an interesting story about intuition. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, I had attended a virtual fundraiser in the spring of 2021. And um, and there was like a silent auction and I bid on this item, which was a one month membership to an Aikido dojo. And I had been that person who for years would be like describing a difficult encounter I had with someone. And then yeah. I would say, yeah, and then I Aikidoed that, you know, but not like I knew what that meant. Right? <laughs> I was using it in the vernacular. Right. You might have even gotten yeah. that from me. So I, was, I might have even gotten it from I you. I was learning Aikido and somatics. So I was like, <laughs> exactly. I Aikido. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure I was picking up on some stuff about what Aikido was yeah. from you via your generative somatics training. Exactly. Because generative somatics, right, is also rooted yes. in Aikido. Aikido lineage, yeah. it, like, there was never any conscious yeah. part of me for all of that time that was like, I should learn Aikido. Okay. And then find myself in this virtual fundraiser yeah um and i just clicked on the item and i bid high enough so that i felt pretty sure that no one else would outbid me Mm. and then i won the item and then i just sat on it for probably three or four months before reaching blue ivy Hmm. you know i was like "Hmm." um and then i went and observed a couple of classes and then i Mm. tried a couple of classes and that would have been august of last year um, and then I started training in September um, and started out training just two days a week, which for a few months, that was all my body could handle because I literally felt like I'd been hit by a car. Um, but in a good way. 
well, you know, it became in a good way, but at first I was <laughs> I've never been in this kind of pain before. <laughs> um, yeah, what what kept you going back though when it was hurting like that? Because I feel like I remember you being like, there's a I, rugged energy that you had. I describe this practice as my positive obsession in the, yeah. you know, as Octavia Butler, you know, used to talk about her writing. Yeah. That from the moment I witnessed the first class, yeah. I felt clear that my nervous system needed to be engaged in this practice. Now, it took me several months before I was able to start articulating what about mm -hmm. Ikea specifically what what it was doing for me. But one of the things that's really um, uh, unique, I think, about um, it, well, it's probably unique to martial arts, mm -hmm. but I, I certainly, and I don't know if it's unique to Aikido, but Aikido is also a unique martial art in the context mm -hmm. of martial arts because it's non-combative. That's right. Martial art that is, um, it's highly physical. Um, it's, there's a lot of throwing and being thrown and falling and rolling involved and a lot of being pinned on the ground involved. But the goal of the process is to harmonize where there is conflict, right? That's right. That's Neutralize right. where there has been an attack. And so in order to engage with the practice, you all over time, you have to learn in your body and continually integrate this idea that you need to both be vulnerable enough to experience what is being done to your body. Yeah. And strong enough to not collapse in response to what is being done to your body. And Ooh. for me, the, that, that combination of, you know, when I am, so in Aikido, for instance, the person who is attacking the, you know, I might be attacking and the other person who I'm attacking is the person receive they're, they're receiving my attack, but then they execute the technique that yeah. will result in me being pinned on the ground or being That's thrown. Right. If I'm the attacker, then I have to be able to move with the execution of the technique that is going to be the response to my attack. And that That's requires right. me to have some fluidity and some strength at the same time or in equal measure. That's right. Um, <laughs> there are uh, unfolding, constantly unfolding lessons for me mm. that come into practice, as you know, because like every other day I'm texting you being like, I just oh my goodness. myself, you know, yes, <laughs> um, yes. you know, it's, it's, it's so deeply moving to get to be in this practice. Now I'm up to four days a week of training and I'm not in pain all the time, which is great. Yeah. Um, but I was kind say, of like a badass. Like you'll be like, yeah, I've got bruises. Yeah. I've got whatever. Like, yeah, I mean, I come home with bruises all the time and the kids are like, what's wrong with you, mom? And I'm like, no, these are my, you know, this is mm -hmm. how I know I'm alive. And for me, that was, that was that in of itself was also a deep transition to make to be to yes. come into a practice in my body where I'm I'm intentionally putting myself in a position where I am walking away with bruises. Yes. But I get to feel in I'm in my agency. I'm like, yes. oh yeah, I have these bruises because one of my practice partners grips too hard, and that's just something he's working on. 
This is what I say about my sex life. <laughs> <laughs> That's something that they're working on. Healing practices. Exactly. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for, I mean, I'm so, it's been such an awesome thing to watch you be on the journey um, mm -hmm. and watch how it has transformed and grounded your emotion. Like I feel like all of our lives, I've watched you have these massive emotions. And then with Aikido, it feels like you've learned to be like, I can harness this into a power that I use when I want to and how I want to. Yes. And even that thing of your song being like, don't do anything. It's like, I can transform this energy into something else, right? Yes. And there's yes. such a power. Like, I feel like it's almost a super heroic power. And it's the power that we're going to need to liberate ourselves from these systems of oppression, right? Because it's like the things we're upset about. I'm like, when I'm upset, when I'm upset with another person, 90% of the time, if I take a breath, I can be like, it's patriarchy, <laughs> or, right? Like I can, I can kind of see like what system is using that person to oppress me in this moment. And if I can see the system behind it, right, I can feel whatever I feel. Do I want to help that person, not help that person? You know, what, what capacity do I have? And also what do I want, what energy do I want to use to transform the system? You know, can it transform through this person or do I actually need to move the energy, harness it back up into myself so that yeah. I can, you know, right, use that energy for other work. And yeah. I really feel how, for me, the Aikido aspect of generative somatics was always one of the most compelling parts to me. And we got to watch classes of Aikido practitioners who were in their 60s and 70s throwing each other to the ground and getting back up. And it was just this idea of like, there's a movement to the universe. The universe is not still, the, the universe is actually in motion. Yeah. And that energy flows through us, right? So anyway, I just bow down watching you do it. I love how it's like a family activity and everybody comes to watch you do it. It's it's really beautiful. Yeah. Um, Can you and, speak a little bit more to the role that generative somatics has played in your yeah. journey? I mean, in, yeah, it's it's a there's like a non-negotiable aspect of who I am now that is rooted in that somatic lineage and in the embodiment work. Um, I got invited into it from my friend Malkia uh, Devich Cyril, um, and it was sort of like experimental, like, oh, there's this somatics and social justice thing happening. Are you interested? And I was like, I'm I'm trying to heal. On you know, I was kind of like, I'll do anything, anything that will help me understand why I feel so out of control in my life, why I feel like I need to be high all the time, why I feel so externally defined, why do I feel like I can't remember huge portions of my life? Like I want someone to help me understand all of that. And I, that's the place in which I entered somatics in my late 20s. And it was a completely transformative journey. Um, I didn't realize I was not in my body. Like I thought I was in my body. I was doing stuff with it, <laughs> but I couldn't feel most of what was happening in my body. I couldn't handle it. I wasn't interested in most of the data that my body was communicating to me. Mm -hmm. And then somatics was like this invitation, like this is a vessel that is full of information and your whole life is written into the cells of it. And you can know anything you need to know if you pay attention to it and you can know everything you need to know about where to go and what to do if you pay attention to it. So thank you, babe. 10 years, you know, 10 years of like 
going to trainings, going to practices, daily centering, daily practices of two-stepping and being with change and being with like what was coming up that I didn't want to hear, you know? Like I was like, oh, like do I have a healthy sexual appetite or is this taking care of something? Is this covering something? Is this pulling me out of myself? Like, I don't think pleasure activism would exist if I hadn't done the somatic work to be like, oh, being in my body is incredible. Like, mm-hmm. let me tell you how good it can be. You know, yeah. let me let me yeah. testify, right? I think emergent strategy also really, it's like, it's like, let's become wild animal bodies in this world again. Let's learn what we can learn about being in relationship to a living world, a planet that loves us and wants to hold us with gravity all the time. You're never unheld. Like, it's just such a way of being. <laughs> it's just a totally different way of being. So somatics, I, I I have said before, like somatics and embodiment have saved my life over and over again. And also made it hard for me to throw my life away, right? So there's been times when I... Um, you know, my head was like, this is fine. This is good. This is fine. This is good. <laughs> you know, it's fine. <laughs> um, and actually, I was like wasting my life in some um, work situation, a relationship situation, something that was like, this is not for you. This is for somebody, but it's not for you. Right. And you can tell because there's you're miserable and you want to be numb and you don't want to be here. And you can tell because even when you're trying to convince yourself you want to be here, when you sit down by yourself or you wake up in the middle of the night, you're crying. <laughs> Something about this, this, th- I'm trying, you know, the body's just like, Hey, yeah, wait, wait. <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs> and it's so beautiful to have practices where you're like, I have to tell the truth to myself because my body is not lying to me. My body is telling me something right now. Um, and so that feels like it's been a really big practice. And, and I think there's also been a practice then of being like, um, for, a lot of the work I had to do was around my throat and that, I don't know. Yeah. You remember this, like for years I would have the experience of me trying to tell the truth or me feeling like there was a truth that I could not say in a space would literally lead to me choking and like having to spend like 30 minutes in the bathroom, trying to clear my throat and like unable to, um, and, and feeling like (laughs) something's wrong. I, I don't know how to, and, yeah. he, you know, but I, I I didn't understand. I was like, oh, there's something you actually need to say. There's something that you need to get out. And it was like that difficult for me that my whole body was like, we're everything else is trying to get this up. And I was like, the bottleneck is tight and, and whatever big emotion you're feeling can't come out. I had to learn to soften my throat. I had to learn to open my throat. I had to learn to soften my jaw. I had to learn to trust that there's nothing true that could come out of me that I should hold inside, right? If it's true, it can be spoken, right? Now, if I'm not with people who can hear it, I need to level up my conditions. So that's the (laughs) second part. (laughs) I think that my healing practices has been like um, letting myself need people and letting myself be in circles of support. Um, You know, I'm a like high functioning Virgo hermit, person. And I like to engage with people like through the internet on my own terms. So this thing of having to be like, wait, like there's parts of my life I can only get through if I let people come physically hold me or if I let people in on the hard parts. Um, And so in this past, like, huh? 
be and be seen and be visible and really be seen, really be known. Um, which is again that surrender. It's like if I relinquish control, then I can actually be a part of the collective um, on my own terms, like on terms where my dignity is intact. So several times in this past few years, but particularly this year, I really let people hold me through massive change. Mm -hmm. And it's been so awesome. Like I have felt um, both caught when I couldn't hold myself and cheerleaded, you know, when it was like, that's right. That's you. That's you. And, and now it's interesting over, I had my birthday a couple of weeks ago and on my birthday, I recognized, and this feels like a huge part of my healing. So I'm going to share it with all of you. I haven't shared this publicly yet, but I had this understanding like, aha, like I've thought of myself as a moon person my whole life. Like I am a moon reflecting the light of other people and making sure the light gets to the ocean and gets where it needs to go. Um, and you know, that's a particular shape, right? The light is from somewhere else. It's a lot of shadow. There's always something moving over you. A moon person. I love the moon. Moons, but, are great. <clears throat> moons are great. But if you're a sun person, you can't be satisfied and comfortable and at ease being a moon, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And I'm a sun. Like I'm a sun. I generate my own light and I need to be in relationships where people can handle my light. And it's like all, every single relationship, every single connection has to be a connection where people are like, yes. Yes, you yes. be you, shine as bright as you can. Yes, I, I welcome it. I can handle it. I'm warmed by it. I'm not draining it. Yes, right? And mm. I think that that part of like, you know, the sun is not a perfect thing, right? It's always, the surface is always bubbling and jilting out. You know, the rays are going wherever they're going. There's a lot happening, right? But it's also a total life force. So I had to like relinquish perfection relinquish order, relinquish cycles that mm -hmm. felt familiar to me and just be like, what if I'm always beaming? And may you it know? be so, we want to live in a world in yes. which that, that feeling you just described of, you know, that no one I'm in relationship with feels the need to contain my light. Yes. You know, that we, I think we always have to call into question, you know, where would the instinct to contain another person's light where did where that even derive from, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, what, what would even be the purpose of it? Um, like, why, why would you want to do that? And I think, you know, in the keynote yesterday with Angela and Fania, someone in the audience asked a question uh, that was like, what are the spiritual aspects of slavery? And I don't know if the question ended up being answered by the Davis sisters or not, because I had to take off early. Mm. But that's the question really struck me. And it came back in my brain just now because of the, the choking issue you described. Yes. That, um, you know, that we do have this, Fania talked about the, the residue of slavery that lives inside of all of us you know, and that I think arguably lives inside anyone who is U.S. descended, as in like descended from people who, you know, whose family right, yeah. has been here for generations, right? Yes. Not just African descended people, but yes. very much, especially European descended people. Um, and I think about that, the, the you know, there obviously 
in during the time of enslavement and during so much of our history up to this point, there has been some level of containment of one another's light that we have done out of, you know, a sense of needing to protect one another. That's right. right. Um, and I think, I hope, I believe, maybe. <laughs> I manifest. I manifest. I believe that we are reaching a point, you know, uh, a plate tectonic plate shifting point in our history yeah. as yep. part of life on earth where maybe we don't need to restrict one another's life force as a form of protection. Oh, say that again. I like that. Maybe we don't have to restrict one another's life force as a form of protection, yes. especially when that restriction has also been used as a form of oppression. Yes. Right? Yes. We, you know, anything, you know, I mean, there's always that interplay, right? And living totally. under oppression, there's always an interplay between the behaviors that are that have been used against us and the behaviors yes. used against one another That's in the right. in the inside of thinking that we're somehow protecting ourselves or protecting our loved ones. Yeah. But I, what does it look like to release that? Well, and there's something in what you're saying that I've been thinking about so much lately in in terms of interdependence. So how often, even though I'm like, yes, I want to be beaming all the time, and I want this for everyone, right? I'm like, I want everyone to feel into whatever they're celestial way of being is and get to be that. But then there's times when you're interacting with someone and it's like, they'll do something. I'm like, why'd you do that? That hurt my feelings or that doesn't make any sense. Or that's, um, you know, that's really regressive or whatever it is. Like that's harmful. Or there's something, you know, and I'm like, I really check in with myself so much now of like, am I, do I need to change you? Is this how your light is showing up? <laughs> is, this some, is this something else? Right. Like, like a real question. Right. And I think this is where I'm so curious about what this next 20 years of movement work and, and human life, like what's going to shift because some of these systems are sloughing off and changing. And like, I look at the generations that are coming up under us and there's so much more ease with <laughs> fluidity of language, fluidity of identity, fluidity of ideas, fluidity of community. And I'm like, oh yeah, I can still feel my rigidness when I when I feel the fluidity that's coming from the, these next generations. It excites me, and it's like with that fluidity, there's more room for, oh, that toxic sludge. Yeah, we we can we can um, process that out of here, right? Like mm -hmm. we don't have to kick the person out. We can really identify and hone in on this behavior and be like. How do we as a community need to shift so that behavior doesn't need to be present here? Right. It doesn't feel it needs to be present here and doesn't feel like it, it needs to show up here. Mm. And I keep thinking about this because I'm like, yeah, from slavery, from the founding of this country and the genocide of it, from the creation of capitalism, from the idea of humans as capital, from the idea of earth as only for humans to use, mm. all of these harmful ideas mm. we have to let go of. And we don't have, we can't do it by just pointing at each other and being like, you, ugh, right? It really has to be like, what has to happen for us to mm -hmm. all be whole and to have enough room for everyone to actually be at their full light, you know, their wholeness. Yeah. And to me, it's a really healing idea to imagine that there's room for everyone's wholeness. Like the more I step into mine, that, that that's good for the world. 
and it makes room for other people to step into theirs and that's good for the world. And then when people are not in wholeness, like when I think about people who are really acting from hatred or acting from their fear or acting from the trauma that was done to them, right? When people, I'm like, when you're not able to be in your wholeness, then that those of us who are moving in that direction, it's like, there's enough healing space here for your healing too, Mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Really letting it be a choice because I, I see that now when I look at someone being really, you know, racist. Um, recently, I I'm, I live in North Carolina now, and I drove over to the coastline and had this experience where someone had written a slur on a boat, and it was like, whoa, right? Mm-hmm. And so part of me is like, run, get out of here, and part of me is like, there's a confrontation that's needed here, and part of me was like, or maybe this is a protection, maybe that boat belongs to the people who are maybe the slurs against these people. Like I couldn't tell, you know, what was happening. Mm-hmm. But my whole system was like, something needs to move, right? And I was like, oh, I'm moved. That fear is the first reaction in me. Mm-hmm. And it's determining what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. It took me days, I did like three days to get home and be like, how could I have handled that differently? Mm-hmm. What would have What would have happened if I didn't move instantly into fear and from fear, right? What do you I don't, think? Well, I think... I think one of the things that would have happened is I would have reached out to be like, who organizes here, right? Like it didn't occur to me to be like, oh, anywhere there are humans, there's people who are trying to create change. So I think one of the first things that might've occurred to me is like, who are the closest organizers to where I am? And let me make sure they know that this is happening. Um, I think I might've waited to find out, is this home owned by black people? Was this slur done to the people who live in this home? Right. Because my fear was like, oh, they know you're in this neighborhood. Right. And they wrote that for you. And they're, right. you're in danger. Right. Right. Because right. my friend and I were the only black people <laughs> that I saw, you know, for like three days straight. Right. So I was like, mm-hmm. but then the last day it had been painted over. And I was like, maybe there's a black family there. And we missed this opportunity mm-hmm. to be like, hey, we saw that this happened to you. And so I think other ideas, I always want to be like my, my in my dream world. We have a mycelial network of organizing that is just like you can easily tap into and just be like, and then everyone's like, oh, what do we need to do here? <laughs> I really like the idea of it somehow being a weird chorus of aha, aha, aha. <laughs> I think we should, aha, aha, let's do it. Let's see what we can. I'm just like, let's go. Why not? Mm. All right. Um, so, I wanna I wanted to spend a little bit of time with us, right? A lot has happened in terms of our lives together and being in the public sphere and changing the world together. And I just wanted to take a moment to talk about like the healing that is possible inside of increased visibility and inside of like being two distinct people <laughs> who the world is paying attention to more than they were 10 years ago. And who are having like an impact on the world that I feel like we're both being very intentional about, but I wanted to ask you about that. Like, do you have a sense right now of like using the visibility that you have in a healing way? Is that part of your practice? You know, it's what's interesting is I feel I've always felt really in touch with my power Yes. And um, 
like I've always been very aware that I, when I enter a space, even as a child, yeah. that <laughs> I affect that space. Oh, yes, you do. And that I have a strong, what some might call it a strong personality. Um, <laughs> I would say, and I would say, and I would say yes, it's very What strong. would the others say about it? Others would say, wow, that's a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I would say, all that is to say that I feel yeah. like I have always felt I've always, I've always been able to feel the sort of the power that I have in a room long yeah. before I started to have, you know, a higher level of like, yeah. you know, visibility or whatever we might call like movement fame. Yeah. Um, and so, and then because of the fact that I entered facilitation work, you know, early in my political organizing life, yeah. um, I've, I, I, I feel a strong sense of responsibility for my power. Yeah. Good. So as so I do think, you know, as as I as the visibility grows, I think for me the sense is how do I keep bringing that same sense of responsibility for how I enter a space? Yeah. into um into you know the the world as it is now for me yes. um knowing that knowing that you know for me all that the increased visibility really amounts to is sort of an in, having to have an increased awareness of what people may be projecting onto me yeah um, and <laughs> yeah. necessarily change what i will do but it yeah. will change it may change how what i do is received yes um and and i don't then for me, it's not about like seeding my responsibility and being like, well, that's just your projection and I'm not responsible, but rather to say, okay, there may be other things happening here. Mm -hmm. um, and I still am going to move with integrity regardless. That's right. Yeah. What about for you? Mm. Oh yeah. What about for me? Well, first I, I like what you just shared, right? That so much is like even becoming aware of projection is like, that's a possibility. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like I made a really distinct choice like at a certain moment when I was like, oh, people are going to, I think maybe the sun thing was in effect before I understood it because <laughs> I kept being like, here's a thing that I'm doing with others. And it would still be like, you know, um, some- Adrian Marie Brown wrote the blah, 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 blah. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I think there's a, a moment when I was like, okay, that keeps happening. So I have to be really intentional about how I do the collaborations um, and how I how I name the lineage of my ideas and the lineage of like my thinking and you know that I don't show up just as an individual but I'm always trying to show up in as like a collective um, experience or a collective you know like I'm like I am a thousand billion <laughs> cells and ideas and moments and everything mm. and, and I'm in connection with all these people who are teaching me in real time. So I made an intentional like commitment to being like, if you're hearing from me, like I don't give a talk where I don't uplift at least one of my ancestors and usually several. Yeah. I'm always sitting with Octavia, my whole Octavia shrine here. Like I'm always like my whole, you know, my whole ancestor altar. They're always all here with me. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and that really helps, like helps me be like, oh, a lot of my ancestors were also visible in their time. And it was strategic for them to be visible because of what they believed. 
right? Like we needed Audre Lorde to step up and take the light. We needed James Baldwin to step up and take the light. Like those ideas deserve the light. And so I try to be like, the idea deserves the light. Um, and then I also feel like on the internet, in the social media world, I feel very intentionally like I am fomenting joy and pleasure and solution, right? That I like, if I'm going to use visibility in this space, I'm never going to use my visibility to like tear someone down. I don't get into like internet beef with people, especially people with like a lot smaller following than me. I'm like, you don't know what could, it doesn't go well. <laughs> that never goes well. And I'm like, I'm going to, I'm like, I, I'm like, I'll leave you room for your healing. I'll leave you room for your healing. I might restrict you or whatever, but in my space, we're going to be laughing. We're going to be uplifting the things that are going well in the world. When stuff is unjust, we're going to figure out like, where is the, where's the, where's the action we can take? Where's the little wedge of justice we can open? And like, let's focus our collective attention there. Um, so in those ways, I feel like I'm using my, my visibility for healing. And then I think, you know, between our podcast and the ways that both of us show up in the world, the way we're honest about what we're going through and learning, I think that's also a way that that we are healing in the world. Yeah. Um, and now I think song is becoming a huge part of that. Like I think in the oh, next five years, we're going to be putting out music that is also about healing our folks. And I, um, you know, the music that I opened with is from a set of pieces that have been commissioned to be turned into a musical ritual. So it's like, that's going to be a ritual that people can put on that's themselves and an heal. Thing that's happening. That's an actual thing that's happening. Right. Um, and you are working on this album, but I know you also were commissioned to write an original song to perform locally. And I wonder if you would be open to sharing that song with us. Yes. Yes. Yeah, okay. um, I wrote this song. I wrote this song for uh, a gathering that happened a few days ago. And it was inspired in part by the nature of the gathering and also inspired in part by um, a narrative about an enslaved woman that I read uh, several years ago. Um, and it's called Already Free. So I'm just gonna sing it for you all. <clears throat> Awaken, awaken me. already free, yes, we can, we can be, I'm already free, I know it's so in this world, I know I live in this world, but in the next world, I'm already freer. I know it's so in this world, I'll fight and die in this world and wait for the next world where I'm already freer. I can't believe in this world. I'm fighting for a new world. I'm trying, I'm trying. I need you to show me. That I'm already free as we can. 
sci-fi freedom song. That's <laughs> so great. That's exactly what it is. Thank you. Sci-fi <laughs> futuristic freedom song and it's freaking awesome. Oh, um, I love that you saw that right away. I'm like, oh my god, are the next world we're free? Ah! I mean, it's also a Harriet Tubman freedom song. Like, it's, it's all free. free. It's, it's all beautiful. of it. 